You know, I, I prepare, I put a lot of time into preparation, and I'm not bragging and I'm not bemoaning, I'm just stating the fact. And somehow yesterday I lost all of my notes for the message today. And I didn't know until this morning. <laughs> so I said, Lord, and by His grace I had made the PowerPoint with all the Scripture references that I was going to use and so I was able to rebuild some semblance of a message from that PowerPoint that I had saved so that we would have the Scriptures to put up on <laughs> the screen. The message of the cross is what? It's the power of salvation for those who believe. The message of the cross is that He came and He lived and He taught and He was arrested for that. He was brutalized and He was killed. Now imagine your pastor telling you that he was about to be arrested on false charges and he was going to be imprisoned and he was going to be punished to death. Now, some of you, I can feel like get this cringing feeling like, <gasps> that's what he told his disciples before he died. It's not a pleasant message. There's nothing pleasant about it. We call this Good Friday. And the only thing good about it is that we receive a benefit. But you know, he went to the cross because of us. We're the reason that he had to go. And so few want to preach that today. They like to preach the part. Because he went, I can face tomorrow. Because he died, I don't have to. But you know, the fact that he was going to the cross was written in Scripture. In fact, we're going to look at the prophecy that foretells his, him being brutalized in Isaiah. And uh, if you want to look in your Bibles there in your seats, you can find it on page 1144. If you want to read it off the screen, it'll be up there too, 1144, and the Bible's there in your seats. And if you follow along, you'll see that what I'm saying is true. Isaiah foretold that he would be brutalized. In fact, Chris and I used to perform a song. It was called Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. And we thought about doing that here, but we wanted to keep the service short, so we opted not to do it. Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. We're going to read from Isaiah 53. We'll start with verse 3, but I, I believe before we do, we should pray. Heavenly Father, please open our minds to accept Your Word as it is written. You alone have given me counsel. It's Your Spirit that has led me to put some notes together here on these sheets of paper. I ask that you would have your Spirit cleanse our hearts and minds of all falsehood, all deception, all false teaching, anything that has entered us before this moment in time, Lord, that is contrary to your Word. I ask that you would remove it from us 
now. I ask, Father, that you would transform us into surrendered vessels for your use and your use alone today. I thank you for loving us, and I thank you for opening the way for our salvation through the sacrifice of Christ. And I thank you that we can right now remember that sacrifice. I ask that you would eliminate all distractions from our minds and help us to attend to your word. The bulk of this message, Lord, as you know, is in fact your written word. Please turn our hearts to you. Open the eyes of our understanding. Let us hear only from you, Father. Erase those other voices. Block them. We ask that you would help us to believe. And God, I ask that you would help me to speak clearly and concisely because I can't do this without you. I ask that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon all who are within the sound of my voice that we would learn to live as your word commands. We are going to start with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, Lord, and I ask that you would help all of us to receive what your word says in Christ's name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You think about his life, and we don't often think of him being acquainted with grief. But remember, whenever he came to the tomb of his friend Lazarus and the family members said, if you'd have only been here, he'd still be alive. And the shortest verse of the Bible occurs where it's written, Jesus wept. He was acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Now, we hear there an allusion to the fact that all of the disciples ran when he was arrested. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Their pastor told them he was going to be arrested, excuse me, not arrested. He was going to be arrested before he was set up on that cross. And they did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This would be a good time to do that song. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And that word for there, if you look at the word meaning, it means because of. He was wounded because of our transgressions. He was bruised because of our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. By His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He remained silent. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. In other words, he was killed for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken because of us. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Whoever thought that God would be pleased, pleased by this brutal act of murder that took place. He has put him to grief. God did that. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, I ask that you would, in fact, add your blessing to the reading and hearing of your word today. May we remain true to it. In Christ's name and all of God's people said. Amen. All of his disciples would have known that prophecy. They would have known it. They were schooled, they were educated in the Word. He had previously told them that he was going to be arrested. There was a warrant out for his arrest. He had previously told them that he was going to be brutalized. He was going to be tried. He was going to be killed and he was going to be buried. He told them this. But when it happened, they were shocked. They were startled. They were were beside themselves. How could this happen? He's the one. He also told them that he'd come back from the grave, and that we celebrate on Sunday. And he foretold that one of them would betray him. It's written in Mark chapter 14, in the evening he came with the twelve, and now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, now can you imagine the Lord of glory in this room telling us that one of you is going to betray me? And they started to say, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And he answered and said to them, it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. And the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. I heard a preacher one time say that Judas did it because he thought he was going to raise Jesus up, that he was going to get him to be the king, and that Judas wasn't actually uh, being punished for this sin that he committed. But the Scripture said it had been better if he had never been born. 
said, I. He became sorrowful. He said, I. Is it I? Am I going to betray you, Lord? Surely I would never betray you. I love you. It wouldn't be me. I, I couldn't be me. All sin is betrayal. All sin is betrayal. And I say, I wouldn't betray him, would I? I mean, well, there was a time when I... Is that betrayal? Surely it wasn't us. We didn't betray him. We didn't dip our hand in that cup. We weren't the ones, right? Do you know what's written in the 10th chapter of Hebrews? Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And I praise God that today we've assembled. As is the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Thus saith the Lord. And if that wasn't enough, we just turn back a few pages in the book of Hebrews to chapter 6 and we hear it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Willful sinning is equal to betraying Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 is where it's written, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which, grace by which, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Thus it is written. God's grace empowers us to stop sinning willfully. And those who truly believe that Christ sacrificed his life because of our sin, we want nothing to do with willful sinning. 
we cast it aside like the old garment that it was for the old man that it belonged to. We want nothing to do with crucifying him again. Would any of us take that hammer and drive the nails into his wrists or his feet? Deliberately. Willfully. I don't think there's anybody in this room or anybody within the sound of my voice that would do that. It's written in the third chapter of John, verse 15, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Believing is not just a mental assent where we just say, oh yeah, I believe. The devils believe and they tremble. That's what's written. And that the world through him might be saved. You see, that's the good news. Yes, he went to the cross. Yes, he was brutalized. Yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. But he rose again. And we won't lose sight of that, even though I will stress during this message the importance of us comprehending that it is because of us that he went to that cross and we in modern day western Christianity we've gotten this message that it was all for us but we lose sight of the fact that it was because of us and we must never lose sight of that my friends we must hold on to that, to remember that it's because of us that he went to that cross. It's because of us that he was bruised. It's because of us. Yes, we betrayed him. God desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what's written in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. It tells us in John chapter 3 and verse 18 that whoever believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. And we get back to that concept of believing. What does it mean to believe? We're going to cover that in a, in a, in a message sometime after today. There's no time to get into it. But we need to cover that because there's so few that comprehend what it means to believe anymore. We think that just saying, I believe, is actually believing. You see, believing becomes action. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We hear in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. This is what our Lord said. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And the one that we really don't like to hear. Because it tells us he wants us to die. He wants us dead not in a physical sense, folks. If anyone desires to come after me, this is our Lord speaking, he said, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Every day. Die to self. Every day. Die to the sin. The sin. Die to the flesh. Die to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Die to everything but Him. Die to selfishness. In fact, it's written in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26 that He wants us to love Him above all others. Above all others. Our mother, our father, our siblings, the people that we're closest to. He wants us to love Him above everybody. We can't put anyone in front of Him. And there's a reason for that. 
We won't go into the depth of it, but there is a strong reason for that because he tells us that even our mother or our siblings will betray us when the time comes. He said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Cannot. This didn't say won't be. He said cannot be. He wants us to love him above everything in this world. Why would he say such things? It seems so cruel. You know, after all, Jesus is love, everybody says. It's written in Luke chapter 9 and verse 25, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? He said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear him, God, who can cast both body and soul into hell. That's what he said. We don't like to share that message very often these days. He said, go and sin no more. But many church leaders today say, go and sin it up. Grace covers all sin, even willful, deliberate sinning. But hear what's written in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Does Paul say certainly? Well, the next word is certainly. But what's the one after that? Not. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, died to sin, do you get my point here? This is the point of Christ. This is what he's saying. We have died to sin. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's not taught very often anymore. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And this is why we do what we do when we put people under the water. It's symbolic of walking away from everything. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. He went to the cross because of us. He went to the cross before... Excuse me, for us, and he also went to the cross with us. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with. Done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Those who live in sin, are enslaved to sin. This is what the Scripture says. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You died with Christ, and your life is in him, it is written. You have new life in him. You are dead in Christ. You are no longer the one that you were when you came to Christ. You have been renewed by his sacrifice. 
Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also, you also, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. And there are those who take that passage and they twist it all around and they say, you're not under law, you're under grace. Go sin it up. And God's Word says that is an abomination to God. We are not to go on sinning. He calls us out of sin. We have died to sin, just as Christ died on that cross, and we remember that death today. In First Peter chapter 4, it is written, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, for us, and because of us, Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin." that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And there are many definitions of sin in the Scriptures. One of them is, it's like you're aiming for a target. You let go of the arrow, but it hits off. It doesn't quite hit the mark. Missing the mark, that's sin. You're trying to hit the mark, but you miss. Another one is that you're going over and you're jumping up and down on that target. You're not trying to hit it. And there's all these other ones in between. We've covered those before. The night is far spent, it's written in Romans 13. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. In Philippians... Chapter 2, it is written, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, when we look at that, I've been to a number of different Good Friday services, especially in the last uh, 14 years or so, 13 years, in this community, some of which I've spoken at and others which I've just been in the audience. But I don't remember ever hearing anybody say that it's because of us that He went to that cross. He went obediently to the point of death. Sinning willfully is betrayal and denial of Christ and His sacrifice. We all have heard how Peter denied Him three times. The Lord said, you're going to deny me. Peter said, no, no, no way, no way, no way. I'm not going to do that. Oh, no, 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 no. But he wept bitterly after he realized he had, in fact, betrayed the Lord and denied Him three times. 
And what's the Lord say in Luke chapter 9 and verse 26? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. You deny him, he denies you. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's written in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 33. That's what he said. That's what he said. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, this is written in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, He also will deny us. The early disciples knew exactly that that message was true, and they conveyed it in their epistles so that all would comprehend that this is the true Word of Almighty God. We may not deny Him in any way and expect that He's going to say, Oh, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, you're one of mine. No, what the Word tells us is He's going to say... Out of here, I don't know you. They profess to know God, it's written in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, but, but, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every work. Do you think He's talking about unbelievers here? They say they know, they, they profess to know God. They say they know Him, but they deny Him. And how do they deny Him? Not with their lips necessarily, but with their actions abominable, disobedient actions. Indeed, the message of the cross, it is written, is foolishness to them that are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Do you want the power of God in your life? Embrace the cross every day. The message of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, there's that caveat word, if, Indeed, we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. Die to everything. Live to God. And the final text that I have here is from Romans chapter 8. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Debtors? We're in debt? Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. He said, brethren, he wasn't speaking to unbelievers. He was speaking to his people. We're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? Because the Spirit of God is not going to lead you into sin. 
The Spirit of God's not going to lead you into temptation. The Spirit of God will lead you out of temptation. We pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, that's an act of faith. We're not asking for bread for a week or a month or a year or the rest of our lives. We're asking for today. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as in the manner in which we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. In other words, we're saying lead us out of temptation. Resist the devil, and everybody here knows he will flee. Lead us out of temptation, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And why? Because his is the kingdom. His is the glory. His is the power, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for that sacrifice that was made, we're sorry that it had to be. We know that it was because of us. We know what the cross means for us, Lord. Help us all to embrace what it means to us. Help us, Lord, to look beyond embracing only what it means for us. Help us to realize that to us it means a new life, a new lifestyle regardless of how we were born, regardless of what we think or we desire or we want, regardless of us, that cross brings us into new life. And the message of the cross is your power over lost souls to be brought into your kingdom. And I pray, God, that each and every one that hears this message would come to the cross broken and recognize their need for the Savior that you brought into this world. And I pray this in his mighty and matchless name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right.